This is Crawl the Death Stalker, and you're listening to Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling! Promotional consideration paid for by the following. This is Steve Bowtie Bryant here. Back in the 90s, I was a pro wrestling photographer for the South, and I released what might have been one of the original sets of indie trading cards. I ran across some of these original sets. They were up in Randall Fanning's attic all this time. PG-13 rookie card, Ricky Morton, George Weingroff as the Sheep, Chris Champion, Reno Riggins, Billy Montana, Gary Valiant, the Scorpion, the Medic, Rick Reynolds, Jeff Daniels, Mephisto and Dante, Ben Jordan, Steve Neely, Marcus Woodrow, Clinton Charisma, Little Farmer John. If you'd like an opportunity to get these cards, contact me now. You can get them for only $49.99. Contact me at stevebowtiebryant at iCloud.com. Get your set now while supplies last. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome one more time to the Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jimmy Street, and I'm here with my co-host and my brother from the same father and mother, Jared the Plastic Sheet Street. What's up, brother? Not much, brother. Just having a good day and uh, looking forward to this interview, man. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Cruel man, he's a good dude. He's always done right by me. You know, he took over the company at the loss of TJ Weatherby, which was heavy on everybody because, you know, TJ ran such a great promotion that everybody could always count on for a good booking and a good payday. And and Kroll took that over and he already had the production elements. I mean, we'll talk about all this because I've got all these questions lined up, but I'm just excited to get him on because Kroll, Kroll's one of those guys that... He knows where the bodies are buried. If that, if you know what I'm saying, <laughs> if you know, you know, right? Yeah, if you know, you know. He knows every. I mean, seriously, he he's been involved with some of the all time greats and some of the greatest people that I absolutely look up to. As do I look up to him. So, you know, Crawl is definitely somebody that we have to have on our show. That that was somebody that was on my very long list, but he was near the top because I, he's just he's just been so important to me. So I'm excited for you to get to meet him and, and I'm excited for the world to get to meet him, you know? And yeah. It, yeah. So I love what we're doing right now, man. These guys uh that have been carpenters of the business and they're getting um hopefully they're their time to shine through through some new eyes and you know people can look them up on youtube and stuff like that and find matches and see see that these people are just because maybe you ain't seen them on aew or wwe this year don't mean that they're there's not important people in the wrestling business you know i mean there's a lot there's a lot more that have that have uh done things for the wrestling business that just don't get their kudos absolutely and you know if we do that that that's amazing. I mean, honestly, if we are just that, honestly. So you brought that up at a good time, and this is kind of a good point I want to make. So we had Shane on, right? You know, it yeah. kind of really started with Jeff Daniels. But when right. we had Shane on, it really opened the door 
for a lot of people. And, you know, Shane, he's our liaison to all these guys now. And so when when we had Shane on, great response. He's still number one by a mile, not by a country mile, but a good mile. And then, of course, you know, we had Hot Rod on and, you know, having those two guys on in a row almost, you know, yeah. really, it really kind of bang banged it. And then, of course, the Right Way Reunion, which Shane is kind of the head of, he runs that. And basically, it was like Hot Rod was on. The reunion happened, and then after the reunion happened, you know, it it was like Shane sent me a hundred, you know, people to not really a hundred, but Shane sent me a good fifteen guys yeah, that want to be man. on the show, and then you know, so it kind of left you and I with the decision to make. You know, we didn't really set out to be an interview show, right? Not solely. No. I mean, we 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 wanted to mix in <laughs> interviews with some topics, and yeah. I mean, we've been blessed with these interviews. So how can you turn them down? I mean, right. That's the way we looked at it. And I, you know, I wanted to involve you in that because I know you care about the topics as much as I do in our what if episodes. It so the what if we ever do a what if episode again <laughs> is a, should be our next one. But you know, other than that, I, there's so many opportunities right now that we. I kind of want to strike while the iron is hot. I'm glad you feel the same way. You got some great names coming up of course this one with crawl then we're going to have quentin charisma who has another guy that knows where the bodies are buried and then rick reynolds man he was forsaken he was one of the guys who trained wolfie d this guy is one of the guys he's one of those wrestlers wrestlers kind of guy and rick honestly is the nicest guy in the world too so excited to have him on then after that the list is long. Our buddy Doug Markham, great referee, came in around the same time that I did and has just really done a whole lot in the business. He worked for MLW and, you know, really, you know, we're going to do more stuff with other guys. There's a bunch of names, I too many to mention right now. But, you know, there's, there's just a lot of opportunities right now. Yes, we will get back to topics. If you don't like interviews, I'm sorry, but, you know, we're kind of going to double down on this right now since the response has been so great. So, you know, speaking of that, why don't we go ahead and get to our interview with Tim Thomason, a.k.a. Crawl. Let's get to it, man. All right. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, guys, this is Wolfie D from PG-13. Check out my podcast, Live and in Color with Wolfie D, every Monday at noon. We're talking Memphis. We're talking ECW, WCW, WWF, everywhere that I've been. We even have some great guests, some Hall of Famers on the show with us. Every Monday, Live and in Color with Wolfie D. That's right, it's the talk of Middle Tennessee, the channel you love to hate and the channel you hate to love. It's Brian Turner from Brian Turner's VHS Rehab. And if you're looking for matches from Wolfie D to Jerry Lawler to Dusty Rhodes and the team that put a pimp before your eyes and a goatee between your thighs, Booty Call and Athena, go to LostWrestling.com. See, I made it easy for you. Brian Turner's VHS Rehab. Booyah! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome one more time to the Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling Podcast. And today, we've got a very special guest on the show with us. Not only is he a professional wrestler, he is also a promoter. He is also a booker. He is also a technological wizard. Today, we're going to welcome Kroll to the show. How you doing, Kroll? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Yeah. Well, Kroll, we always start off with the first question of the show. Goes to my brother from the same father and mother, Jared, the plastic sheik. Sheik hit him up with this question. All right, Kroll, man. This is a this is a question that uh I think helps the audience get to know you a little bit and 
um, lets them see maybe what your influences in wrestling were. If you could name like four or five wrestlers that you consider like your Mount Rushmore of wrestling, who would those be? Uh, well, locally, I would say Tony Falk, uh, uh, Tracy Smothers, Jerry Lawler, Bill Dundee. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. And, uh, but uh, growing up, Hulk Hogan, of course, Ricky Steamboat, Rick Flair, you know, Terry Funk. Yeah. Yeah. I don't love think any of those names on either list can be argued with. Uh, so, yeah. No, no. I so love those a, guys. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a, that's a great, that's a great, that's a great two lists there, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to start off from the start here, Crawl. Talk about your younger days, brother. Where were you born? I was born and raised and grew up in the East Nashville, right off of East Trinity Lane. You know where Porter used to run? Yes, sir. Yeah. I I lived walking distance to that building. That is wild. That was my first venue I ever worked at in Nashville. So that's awesome. Up until 2015 or 2017. Yeah. Okay. And then where'd you go to high school? Maplewood. Maplewood. All right. In the hood, Maplewood. I love it. So what I always liked about East Nashville is when I first moved there with my band, we lived in East Nashville. It was like seven guys and two girls in a house. And it was literally like the real world. And had we had any sense, we would have shot it like a reality show because I think that would have made much more money than the band ever did. But with that being <laughs> said, there was always a statement that was very true. Hey, welcome to East Nashville. We'll steal your heart and your lawn mower <laughs> yeah so you were you were og east nashville so you went to high school what about sports in high school man did you do anything like that well i wrestled my junior and senior year in high school and then i would always practice the summer practice football practices just to get in shape for the wrestling but that was yeah. pretty much it yeah you see i mean you're a big guy right what what, what were you at in high school what was your size uh, I was probably about six four, uh, probably right up, probably about two ninety, three twenty, something like that. Yeah, that's that's when they get up to men. I remember Jared wrestled heavyweight in high school, and he was always talking about. He was like, you know, when you wrestle those guys, it's it's you're wrestling men, even though they're in high school, you're wrestling men. You know, so yeah, I mean, I had to. There was a guy in the, a few towns over. I never had to wrestle him, thank God, but he was ranked number one in the nation at heavyweight. So pretty crazy stuff. So, yeah. So, so obviously that was it. But when did you start liking wrestling? Uh, probably about the time I was old enough to understand what was on TV. Yeah. But uh, in, in my household, nobody, nobody liked it. Just me, probably from about the time I was eight, nine years old. But uh, I, I didn't get to go to my first wrestling match until my, my oldest sister's future husband when they were dating he he took pity on me and took me to the fairgrounds it would have been 86 so i would have been maybe 15 yeah yeah time. yeah yeah that's definitely like our raising too. our immediate household did not enjoy professional wrestling like we did but we relied on our uncles and cousins to help us go see pro wrestling like rock and roll express and boogie boogie man and you know there's some kind of outlaw promotion running in virginia that booked as they were also working for 
Crockett, they would also book in Virginia. And I, I'm not, I've never found out who ran that show, but long story short, we feel your pain on that one, brother. So, yeah. <laughs> so talk about your start in wrestling. What was your first foot in the door as far as getting into professional wrestling? Uh, well, I mean, the, the Jarrett school that they ran out of the, off the Memphis TV, mm-hmm. it was ran out of, originally it was ran out of a, of a local gym in a, off a conference drive in a little strip mall called uh, Fitness Trainers. They had the, the lowest, shittiest ring set up in the corner. <laughs> and uh, basically they would make you get like a $25 a month gym membership at the gym. And, and they had about 40 people at the start of it coming from all around the territory from Louisville, Memphis, or people driving up on a Sunday for a two-hour class. Yeah. Because, uh, but basically the, the USWA school was just, uh, an extra, extra line of income for Jeff Jarrett because, you know, the, the territory was on its ass. Right. So, uh, you know, Jeff was a good teacher, but you could just tell that his heart wasn't in it. It was just, you know, it was just him going through the motions most of the time. The real trainers there were Tom Pritchard and Tony Falk. That's yeah. how I got in with Tony and, <clears throat> nobody would you know tony tony's not gonna take a lot of blunt so i kind of became the the dummy you know doing all the drills and stuff so you know i definitely yeah. got my my little money's worth but that was in april of 92 when i started out there okay that's awesome and, yeah and i had so- my first match in spring hill tennessee against kevin the thug jones in march of 93 okay march of 93 and what promotion was that for uh, Terry Rice's Power Slam Pro Wrestling. <laughs> okay, okay. Now, so I've heard names like Norrie Havoc, Leon Downs. These guys also started around that same time with you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, Aaron was, you talk about somebody that was locked in with the Jarrett's for whatever reason. Uh, Christine Jarrett loved Aaron, and he was yeah. like, he was like doing security at the fairgrounds and stuff, you know, before he was even really training regularly but Eron's deal with uh jerry jerry was that jeff's younger brother jason he wanted somebody to help coach him for when he was in high school you know for amateur wrestling and he, yeah. you know so Eron didn't have to pay for the school and they you know they really loved Eron because hell they you know he was probably the first one out of that group of people that was working and Eron was actually the one that went to Jeff and Jerry and said, look, Leon and, and Timmy, Big Crow, they're ready to start using them. So, you know, because we were like working little independents around here. And then they, after a month or two of that, they started booking us, you know. Yeah. On, yeah. So Eron was the one that kind of went to bat to got us, you know, like, hey, these guys are ready to go, you know, start using them. So. Eron's a great dude. He's one of the better guys oh, yeah. I got to know. And, that, and I, I met a lot of great guys, but Eron was always awesome to me and oh, yeah. always appreciated him. Now, okay, Kevin the Thug Jones, man, I have seen some videos about him and laying on some promos, especially for the MWF promotion and stuff like that. Talk a little bit about Thug Kevin. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't have anything bad to say about Kevin, but to me, sure. he's just... He's your typical Tennessee indie wrestler, lazy. Not ever, you know. He's he's the same as he was the match he had with me in '93 as he is today. He's the same sure. lazy worker. Doesn't want to do much. Just wants to go out there and do the walk and the talk and the, yeah. you know. And and if, that, if that's what he likes doing and can get booked to do it, then more power to him. But 
you know, me, you know, if it's, you know, if you go to the, like playing in your band, you talked about, if you're playing the same song or set of songs every night, eventually you want to get better and evolve and do, learn, you know, play something else, you know? Yeah, At absolutely. least that's how I am, you know, creatively, you know? Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm, definitely, for sure. Yeah, that that's a requirement because then you'll start to lose your crowd if you're playing yeah. the same songs, just like the same But Kevin, but Kevin always had heat with me because when we were, when men and Tony were running, uh, for about two and a half years, we were running Madison every Friday on Harris Street. Yeah. And uh, he, he would he would come over there wanting to get booked, and we'd book him, then he'd be outside in the parking lot. And uh, the business that was adjacent to the property we were on, one was like a dentist's office, the other one was like a, a, a little hall that they had like meetings for union workers or pipe workers or something. So we had to keep all these properties clean, other, otherwise they wouldn't let us have people parking there because the parking was real limited and sure. he would be out there you know playing with his gimmicks smoking dope or whatever you know how the boys do and leaving sure you know yeah condoms and beer bottles and shit you know so he was always on my shit list for that <laughs> you know? i love it we're starting hot the dumb, this is all awesome. the dumb the dumb tax shit you know just the, you yep. know Absolutely. That's a high tax too, man. You know, too. Yeah. stupid too tax paying dealing with wrestling. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the origin of the crawl gimmick. Well, uh, I'm sure y'all have seen in uh, 83, there was a sci-fi movie called crawl. Oh yeah. I just, I just always liked that name. And, and, uh, the house I grew up with in, in East Nashville, our neighbors and, uh, the early nineties when I started doing my training was a guy that was doing a, uh, a country music gimmick. He had a, he moved here from like Nebraska to release a children's records. He was, he, his gimmick, he was like a singing cowboy doing children's songs, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, uh, he was a mastered leather designer. So I just drew up what I wanted as far as my crawl, you know, gimmick, you know, because originally I had like a Wolverine mask with it, with my other yeah. mask that I had. Yeah. And it just got lost over time. But he 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 made me all that stuff out of just sketches that I sketched up for him. Yeah. Wow. It was a so very original pretty, gimmick, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, that's pretty much where it come from, you know. I mean, but, uh, you know, I kind of feel like I was the, the mankind mask before the mankind, you know, because uh, my fourth match was in – Memphis, Tennessee against Jeff Gaylord. And uh, that was the night they had Luger and Yokozuna kind of like in the warm-up before yeah. SummerSlam. Yeah. And uh, the main event was Paul Neighbors against Jerry Lawler with Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson in Paul Neighbors' corner. Right. And they, they not saying that they stole my, my idea or my gimmick, but, you know, that was probably, you know, a year, maybe – probably two years before the, the mankind gimmick started. But they, yeah, that, yeah. they took a hard stare at me, just put it that way. Let's just say that, right? Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because you were, you were mankind before mankind. You were abyss before abyss. I mean, you were, that gimmick was, and I'm not comparing the two, you know what I'm saying? But in the same yeah. sense, there there is some, you know, I'm not saying anything, but what are the ties with? Yeah, but with, other than Vader, nobody wore a mask like that back then. Right, exactly. exactly. And you weren't doing a Vader gimmick. That's the other thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, 
in fantasy and, and sword and sorcery, all that stuff is super over with me. You know, we grew up being, yeah. you know, barbarians and Conan. But originally, fan. originally, I called myself Crawl the Death Stalker. I right. just thought, thought that had a good ring to it. It's a great name, man. Great. Now, yeah. who would you say you took? I mean, not to say that you took anything from their gimmick. What I'm saying is, is like, who would you say you modeled your, your style after? Or were you just trying to be yourself and see how it goes? <sighs> Uh, just probably from everything, you know, I mean, every wrestler pretty much takes something from somebody, you know? Sure. Of course. But I mean, I mean, I never thought I was like, uh, you know, I guess explain how I felt about wrestling. To me, it was doing something, not, I mean, I don't think I would have ever been one of these guys happy being on the road 300 days a year, you know, night in night out and stuff you know i like being close to home and all right. that so for me i just like going in there like in the school man Iran, we were always doing bumps and stuff you know trying to you know do moonsaults and stuff and you know jeff would be honest y'all don't need to be doing that you know that kind of stuff but you know me i just always like the creative end of it where learning how to do something you know yeah. evolving but i mean as far as just like when I first started wrestling, I was, you know, being getting heat by like taking big high backdrops, throwing drop kicks, doing stuff that cruiserweights do. You know, me, I just like working, you know, I just wanted to, you know, you know, so I was always kind of my first year or two learning, learning the ropes. I was told by Booker, you don't need to be doing that. Right. Don't need to be doing, that, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, now, yeah, talk about, you know, and I don't want to jump ahead here too much, but it's around this time. I mean, talk about the influence that Tony Falk had on you, man. Because I love Tony. Uh, We all love Tony. If you don't love Tony, I don't like you. Probably from about 92 up to about probably 2006 or 7. Hell, we were thick as thieves. Yeah. I mean, uh, before USWO, we were running. Paducah, Kentucky, with his brother and Dennis Mason, and Men Tony would always Monday nights be at uh, Kinko's copy making posters. After the they they ran like every other Sunday, so Monday night we'd be at Kinko's copy cutting and pasting the poster together, making the copies of it, and then overnighting them to his brother. And it was kind of funny because Tony would always have a different pose he would got from Steve Bryan on like one of the Friday or Saturday shows in Nashville. Yeah. And then he would take it out there and have the guy make him an eight by 10 on his wall. He'd have like, like 20, you know, the whole one whole wall in his bedroom was just pictures of him. (laughs) (laughs) So it was kind of like the gimmick. Like we'd go do the posters and he would make sure he'd get an eight by 10 of a new picture of (laughs) <laughs> God, I, I love Tony so much. He's just so, you know, we fought like the devil to get him on the Wolfie D podcast. That's the shoot, Pally. Because I tell That's you. the thing. Tony is, I don't know. It's like he, you know, just that old school mentality, like he doesn't want yeah. to tell or, right. you know. But, I mean, hell, it's everything's, you know, kayfabe, hell, 30 years ago was right. going, you know, shit. Sure. But the sure. cool thing about Tony back then, too, is. Like, uh, you know, I was, I think I was 17 and about six months into my training, I turned 18. So my first match, I was almost nine. So I would have been 18 or 19 when I started working. 
And uh, when Tony would call my house, because I lived with my parents still at the time, so when yeah. Tony would call my house, you know, because nobody had cell phones back then. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, Tony, of course. Tony would call my house, and my mom or whoever answered the phone, he'd leave a message message for me, and it'd be his number, but he would say he was Steve Bryant, yeah. who was the photographer around here at the time. <laughs> Bowtie, yeah, yeah. So there was there was still kayfabe back then. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, it, just something about Tony because Tony to me it was like a magnet. Yeah, I know, and we're gonna get into this later on working for you at, at Saw. But I tell you, Tony was just like a magnet to me, and and I could not ever not talk to him. And it was like every time I talked to him, I took something from him. And you know, Tony's style. And for the listeners, if you haven't heard Tony, I don't know why you're listening to our podcast because Tony is such a, a precursor to even me doing something or any of us doing something but tony has that style about him and it's well known that he talks in promo you know what i mean and you know lt yeah lt (laughs) has it as well he does and i love them both got nothing but respect for both the men but it's just a it's just a promo and and it's great but it's also kind of like yeah you know and and i'm not going to do my impersonation but now i have heard that someone says that you have a pretty good Tony Falk impersonation. Shit, I ain't done that in so long. Let's see. <laughs> this is Tony Falk, and you are watching Jimmy Street on Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling because Crow wants to play these ribs and aggravate me. He wants to call and talk to my daughter and say, Daddy, it's Tommy Rich, and I yell at her and say, it's not Tommy Rich. It's that damn Crow trying to be funny. <laughs> And that's, that's a shoot, pretty, pally. <laughs> that's a that's shoot, pally. No, but Tony, he, Tony's great. I mean, he, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. So, so <laughs> Tony to me is is just one of those OG original guys, and he knows a little bit of everybody. And then once I you found know Tony out, calls me Crow, right? Yeah, so he'd be yeah. like, Crow, my damn son. You know, so I, I could tell you. I can Tony all night. That's <laughs> oh god, yeah, I better oh, I love it. It. yeah, I better kayfabe that. Yeah. So anyway, Tony's just one of those guys, and then once, of course, I found out he knew Gary Hart. It was over from there. So I was bugging him left and right. But anyway, Jared, go ahead, brother. You got a question? Tell us a little bit about Extreme Clown Posse. Extreme Clown Posse started up when we were running Paducah back in the day. Pretty much before Bert and Porter came to town, right, and pretty much made it like where you work here, you can't work there. Pretty much, yeah. you could work Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right, within like an hour or two of Nashville. And pretty much everybody pretty much got along, and you know, wasn't none of that. Yeah. So uh, every other Sunday we ran uh, Paducah started in '93 and. I think Tony ran that until like about 2002. But uh, anyway, up there, it was, uh, I don't know if y'all know Gator. I know Jimmy does, but Gator McAllister had a trainee that was doing a Roy Presley gimmick, like the honky-tonk team Roy Presley. Okay. (laughs) And uh, so we were, Billy had originally came in as a heel, then he turned to babyface and came back in as my mystery partner against Gator and then, and uh that's when all the boys were, were listening to ICP all the time. Oh yeah. And so we just kind of, you know, extreme clown posse. So that's where it started and 
so we we just you know became two juggalos and just you know kind of fell in love with what they were doing and just kind of emulated you know yeah. Two big fat guys doing a, a clown gimmick. Yeah. Gypsy yeah. Joe would go, Hot Rod, they're two fat clowns. They're supposed to make you laugh and happy. They they big. And they beat people up. I don't get it. But yeah, it was, but yeah, we, we did that from probably about ninety late ninety six, ninety seven to probably about 2003 billy he never really worked a lot he just got in it when he broke in with rod did and yeah. we all just kind of became friends because billy lived in east nashville at the time too and you know he, he pretty much worked when he wanted to but you know he was just kind of you know limited when he wanted to work because he was always running a club platinum strip club and like after the show all the boys would be down there partying and hanging sure. out yeah yeah, but yeah, Billy, he's he's a good dude though. It's just a lot of fun, and for me, I started in '92, so that was you know it was just kind of, kind of you know by that time, a lot of the shows that you wasn't really established in, you go to and people call you a mankind wannabe and shit like that. So it was just kind of time for the first you know to kind of evolve a little bit for my for myself. Yeah, probably wanted to be like, no, they stole my gimmick. Yeah. <laughs> how you, how do you clear that up though? You can't. That's the problem. What's, yeah. you, know, what's, you know, that's the problem. It's not like you can wear a shirt that says "I did it first. I guess you yeah. can. You know? I guess that would kind of fall under the the John Cena PG thirteen. Yeah, you know, I mean, people, yeah, yeah. You know? The crazy one is Brian Christopher doing it though. You know what I'm saying? Because he yeah. rode and knew PG so well, and then he's doing that with the hip hop drop. I've heard that conversation so many times, Crawl. If we can just skip that one, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but of course. So obviously, it's based on ICP. But you, were you were a fan of ICP as well? Oh, absolutely. I love ICP. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. do you have a Hatchet Man tattoo? No, I don't have any tattoo. <laughs> I didn't think so, but I, I've seen a lot of the boys have the Hatchet Man. So, yeah. yeah. So uh, now there's there was something I heard about that you did something with Vern Troyer. Is that? Tell us yeah. A bit. Uh, in uh, I think this was in '99. There was a club in Nashville in Antioch over here called uh, on Bell Road called the Palladium at the time. Yeah. Okay. And and uh. The uh, MTV reality show, uh, MTV Real 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 World Road Rules Challenge 2000. Oh. They uh, it was wrestling theme on this episode, and and they booked a bunch of wrestlers just to kind of hell. Really, we didn't do anything on the show. They showed us on camera maybe two or three times, but we didn't do anything. But the gimmick referee was Vern Troyer, and uh, he uh. We asked him to get up, you know, I mean, you're stupid if you don't, you're in your gimmick and you want, you know, gimmick pictures. And, uh, he was, he was like real timid, you know, to be, for being around people. So he's yeah. in the bathroom and we're like, uh, Hey, can we get a picture? And he's like, ah. so we kind of like just clouded, you know, got around him and took the picture, you know, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, but, but yeah, when, and when that actually aired a lot of juggalos, that kind of got us over with a lot of the juggalos because they seen us on that. And they're like, is this, you know, is this MTV making fun of ICP? And we're like, no, we're, we're a legit deal, you know? Right. And then, right. uh, and then, uh, alternative press, they did like a big story on ICP where they both had like three different covers. One with, uh, I remember each that. one. Yeah. 
uh, in that issue where they got like a like on a big like 10 page article on them but like on one of the pages it's got like things related to icp and it says ecp uh, and it's got like a little paragraph that says two local wrestlers who go around emulating insane clown posse as juggler you know so that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is very cool. Now, you know, obviously they do the gathering and things like that. Yeah. And did you ever hear anything about what those guys thought about or did they even know about you? Did you ever hear anything uh, about that? Billy Billy got to meet him at a in store in like two thousand one. He showed them pictures and they were like, Yeah, it's cool, it's cool and then uh up in uh me and Cat Taylor and Wayne Hackney Junior went to a like a little convention where they're selling records, like a little trade show, but sure. ICP used to, they used to go and set up gimmicks at some of these places. And, uh, ICP, Violent J's brother's jump steady. And he does a lot of stuff behind the scenes with them. So he was up there running, running this booth. And we went up there and I showed him pictures and got to talk to him. And, you know, from, I mean, from what I understand, they were cool with it and never, never said anything negative about us doing it. So, sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, you know, those guys are kind of, it's almost like kiss, you know, you never can tell if they're yeah. going to be like, is this cool or is this suitable? You know what I mean? So yeah, I, yeah. I think they're pretty laid, laid back. Sure. I mean, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't like we were trying to go around rap, you know? Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I mean, did you ever think about doing that at all? No. No. Okay. <laughs> I ain't got no rhythm like that. <laughs> I understand. Okay. So, like, at this point in your career, you're looking at the late 90s, early 2000s. What would you say had been your favorite match or most memorable match that you had had at this point? Uh, up to the end? Uh, yeah. da, 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 da. Jesus. Uh, Beyond thing. Hell, that's so damn far ago. Probably, <laughs> uh, probably at Power Slam in 94, I did like a three-a-week, maybe a three about a three-week program with uh, Moondog Spike, Bill uh, Smithson. Oh, nice. oh yeah. yeah. Okay. The nice. first match we had, he really liked it and thought I, you know, took care of him pretty good because you know he's old school. He don't want to be tatered. Right. But then the second, the second one we had, I tatered the shit out of him. So <laughs> it was a good learning curve. But the matches were good. I mean, you got the shit beat out of you, but sure. You know, he he's the he was the the of all the Moon Dogs, he was the one that was work the gimmick and not like try to kill you. Right. And, right. Pro- and probably one of the better ones to deal with, you know, as far as doing business. Yeah. 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 Hot Rod told some great stories about Larry Latham too, how he worked the gimmick and everything. And, yeah. you know, those guys are great. And they're, they're honestly, I know they're so legendarily thought of in that area, but at the same time, the moon dogs are a, a all time team for sure. You know, whether you go uh, national or yeah. local, you know, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, now that, you, now that I'm t- sorry, it took me a second to think, but, uh, as far as like the crawl as a single wrestler, probably, probably my favorite opponent and probably the guy I had the best matches with was a guy that, that Tony trained in, uh, 94, uh, named big John white. He was a big guy like me. And, uh, he, he was probably a little younger than me, but we, we had some pretty good matches. Yeah. But, uh, for two big guys that, you know, in their early twenties, but, uh, but, Big John, he was he was probably a lot better than me, but together we had some real good matches. He was he was I would say he was more of a natural 
like a stone code for a big guy his size. Okay, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, yeah, very much. But Tony, Tony actually trained him and another guy named uh, 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 Keith something, a kid out of Dixon. He actually trained them on in the the lawn of, of the of where Bass School is. That's where Terry Rice ran on Friday nights in the early nineties. But Tony trained him. Whatever happened with their the having the school or whatever, I think Terry had lost that building, but Tony would meet them over there and teach them how to wrestle in the grass to start out <laughs> their training. And Tony No, but Tony I mean, you know, Tony stuck with them and then they finally, you know, eventually got somewhere to go and but right. Tony stuck with them and, and they got them trained and actually started using them, you know. Yeah, that's that's so that, the important you know, part. So that's yeah. true to Tony's, you know, credit. You know, I'm trying to trying to sound positive when it was what I'm saying, but you know. Right. Well, I mean, hey, it's the same element of wanting to start out however you can, you know. And the fact that you can tie up with Tony Falk, it's always great, you know. So that's a good yeah. start for sure. So talk a little bit about the, the around the time of that time of the USWO. Like, talk a little bit about maybe some of how things were done or, or, or at least how the, the crowds were doing it and things like that. Uh, well, the USWO originally started when uh, – the, the Hackneys and Farron and Tony were running New South Championship Wrestling in 97 and early 98. And then uh, they, the, you know, the opposition, you know who I'm talking about. Got oh, yeah. The building, got codes involved and got the building shut down. So Wayne pulled out. So then in 90, late 98 and 99, TJ was running every Friday in that Scalibur gym, the original saw. And then when that shut down, he lost that building. Nobody was really running other than, you know, the occasional Burt at the fairgrounds right. and Porter stuff. So right. that's when Tony started running uh, Springfield once a month in, uh, at the center. And we we would run once a month. And then we moved from there to the, to the uh, fairgrounds old Army building, and we ran every other Friday. Yeah. But uh, when we started running that, we were renting Porter's Ring – and uh, he would have like you know try to bring in a name. So we did one with Lawler, you know, and uh, just we ran once a month. And as far as the houses, Tony could probably tell you a dollar amount. But I mean, the center, you know, it holds a lot of people. We'd probably draw two, two fifty maybe. And then yeah. that's why we moved to the fair building because the rent's a lot cheaper and we could run it more often. But that, Tony was also running like Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, just any day that he could get. So then that's when we moved to Friday. So when we moved there, Farron was actually a, like a, a full partner with Tony on the financial end of it. So, you know, Farron would cover his ass and make sure we got sponsors and everything. So yeah, then we, we were actually drawing probably over 300, I would say, at some, you know, so around... 300 but i mean the crew was pretty much the same as what what you probably know jimmy we had tim ernesto jeff daniels ben jordan steve neely oh, patrick yeah. miller kid thriller hot rod hammerjack me billy yeah uh dante you know just a who's who larry valentine i mean yeah i'm probably and uh a lot of the guys that tony would use in paducah would come down carloads and so how was the atmosphere of it we had uh we had started our TV in uh, March of 2002, 
So Tony would book all these, you know, kids like the the Chuck Taylors and the Ricochets Ricochet. and all that group. Yeah. You yeah. know, a lot of those guys. So we would have Tony would want to book like fifteen matches, but none of it meant anything because the people would go out there and just, you know, fart on it. Sure. So you know, but he was trying to get more, you know, in one night, you know, which I understand why, but. A lot of it just, you know, come off hit or miss, and a lot of it just, you know, I think that probably hurt the draw in the long run. But yeah, but uh, our actual first episode of USWO Late Night was on a channel and on Comcast. They had a infomercial channel, pretty much, and locally, you you know, if you submitted a tape, they would you know play it. But uh, our our time slot was Saturday nights at midnight. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And that that spot cost us eighteen dollars and seventy three cents. A lot of people didn't don't know that, you know. And that was the cheap. But like if we were on Saturday mornings at like say noon, it would be like seven or eight hundred bucks. Right, right. So that's why. But from like midnight to six in the morning, the time spots were under twenty dollars. Wow, that's amazing. That makes a lot so, of sense, though, you know. So, that, But our very first episode, they did something wrong with our tape, and it aired that weekend like a hundred and something times. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was airing. Uh, for some reason, it would air for like two or three hours straight, and then like <laughs> a, a knife show would, like where they're selling knives, it would come on. Sure. Yeah, and then then like our show would come back on for three hours, so people was calling us all weekend. I told Tony, I said, "Damn, I wish it wasn't just a generic show. I wish we had like a big show to plug. <laughs> At least right. we would get all that commercial time." But yeah, I think the I think my uh, Comcast rep said that show aired like 137 times between Saturday night and like Tuesday morning. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's amazing, man. So, but our original run of USWO Late Night, we aired in that slot from. From March of 2002 to like uh, around probably 09, maybe 08, something like that. So it was almost a six-year run. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. Well, let me ask you this because that brings up a great point that I wanted to ask you, but I, I think it's a perfect time to ask it. So with the Wolfie D podcast, I started, I didn't know anything other than I, I just had, okay, I have a wrestler. I can talk to him about his career, but where does it go from there and how do I do it? And I learned it. And if you hear the first shows of the Wolfie D podcast, it sounds like it's just a fan asking a wrestler questions. And then it turned into, we got some, you know, a rapport about us and the production levels came up. I bought a good microphone sounds much better now i'm much more proud of the product today that i can put oh, out absolutely. with both podcasts now than i did early but i learned as i went and you know i've even had guys ask me like hey man i want to start a podcast how do you do it and i'm like man this is my way i don't want to tell anybody the wrong way but this is how i did it it's bass backwards but i figured it out Talk about that, your production quality, because you are a great producer as far as, you know, TV shows go and things like that and commercials and, and all that. Talk about how learning how to do that and where did you learn that from? Uh, it just always comes back to pretty much started out like what you just said with the podcast is, you know, it was trial and error and, yeah. just, you know, that learning curve. But I always, always had that creative itch. Like when I was a kid, I was making wrestling belts or cardboard, you know, before I got oh, yeah. into the... Before I got into doing TV with wrestlers, from probably the time I started wrestling to the to the they started making replica belts in the late early 
the late 90s, early 2000s, I, I probably made over 200 wrestling belts for all the groups around here in Alabama and Tennessee. Wow. Yeah. You know, so it was always just a, that creative itch, you know, of doing something. And I mean, it's, you know, just, you know, like seeing, seeing stuff on TV, like, man, I can do that. And I just, you know, I was, at the time I started, I was pretty decent with Photoshop. So I could build my graphics in Photoshop and just simply, you know, I got a computer and, that's when you could, you know, buy a video card and import your, you know, your analog footage. But the bad thing about that, you had problems with your audio being out of sync. So you have to re it was just trial and error. I mean, I'd love to have a, a dollar for every, every hour I probably put in the stuff, you know, so you, figured, <laughs> Amen. Amen. you figured I probably did six years straight of USWO and then we did over uh, 400 episodes of Saul and its original run. So you probably, right. you know, I probably got over a thousand episodes of just TV wrestling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's just, it's just trial and error, you know, it's like, you know, just kind of, I knew in my head what I wanted to do and I just kind of had to teach myself and figure out how to do it, you know? Just kind of like how I did it. Basically, you yeah. you don't like the last show. Yeah. You said this could be better. I'm going to fix you this know. and then fix this. And you know, yeah, somebody you know, buddy's got a camera here, but you know, you get the money, you figure out what to buy. You go buy something better. You know, it's like yeah, you get a piece yeah. of the puzzle here. Right. You know, that's how me and Reno hooked up to do Saul. You know, in uh, 07, TJ. You know, that's the thing I love about TJ Weatherby. You know, whether we were running wrestling or not, we were we were always going to eat, hanging out, doing shit, going to auctions. You know, the same with Cersei. We right. were friends regardless of what we were doing. But uh, TJ got a, got the building in Millersville. And, uh, you know, me and Reno had, had had the itch of wanting to do something better because the, the, the area was kind of dormant. You know, it was like, you know, I know how to do the TV. Reno's got the know-how to get the sponsors and help put it together. Boom, boom, boom. You know, TJ had the building, so yeah. you never saw you never saw Millersville before Reno and me went up there. Right. TJ okay. started in February of '07, and then it's kind of like you know he was running Saturdays, didn't want to step on Tony's toes, but you know, getting getting talent to commit and stuff, you know, so it was. Me that kind of talked to him in like TJ, you need to go to Fridays. That what you got better talent, more access to talent, and, you know. But he didn't want to. But like I tried to tell Tony, I was like, it just is what it is. Because when Tony was at the stadium in, it was like he was held hostage by Bill the Shields. I don't know if you ever met Bill the Shields, but he was the creepy manager that ran the stadium in. That he told everybody he owned the place and he owned car dealerships. And, but he was just a, a creepy gay old 60 70 something year old man and yeah. uh yeah so you know when before tony was down there burt was running it and then he put burt out and tony agreed to come in there because we had at that time had lost our building in madison so six months later we wound up in the stadium in and he brings burt back so you got wrestling on wednesdays us on fridays and burt on saturdays and if anybody ever wanted to know why Tony ran multiple nights there, it was to keep everybody else from running. Yeah, yeah. But, but Bill, then, you know, Bill had to run his own. So then it, instead of just USWOs, USWO ATL, so it was just confusing to the consumer, you know. And Tony put up with a lot of bullshit down there. Yeah. You know, for years, TJ and me told Tony, he said, get out of here. You can come up here and run. And, uh, you know, so 
it took Tony a couple months to build up his his uh, motivation to come up there, but he come up there, and I love I love seeing this because you know to me it's being around people and do, being around people that you love and that you want to be around with and doing something, especially when you're doing something creative and you know all that. But Tony walked up there and uh, outside the sawmill, Tony asked TJ two questions, and he says, "Hey, Tony, first question Tony asked, he says." He says, brother, am I welcomed up here? And TJ said, well, hell yeah. And he heard him. He says, and second one said, can I pay you $150 and run your building once a month? He said, yeah. <laughs> so you got to love him. He was, you know, and and Tony's always had like a, I mean, I don't know if Tony's ever told you his past, but he had a lot of shit growing up and seen a right. lot of trauma. Yeah. So I think that's why he's like that real timid and don't want to be confrontational and stuff like that. But I'm sure if you've been around Tony enough, if he's pushed in a corner, he'll snap, you know, oh, and take sure. it for himself. But, but yeah. Tony took a lot of shit from Builder Shields. Like he would, uh, cause Bill always had a relationship with Porter and, uh, he would like call Porter and Porter's like, did you know Porter's got a business license? You gonna have to have a business license, Tony. Um, you know, so so Tony would go get a business, you know, so then it was like, uh, well, you're going to have to have a uh, liability insurance. So Tony goes and gets liability insurance. Man. Well, it ain't good enough. You know, it's just always, One extra you know, thing. I would, yeah. you know, yeah. I wish Tony would have, you know, but it's just, you know is what it is well you know and uh, the hipsters kind of started flocking to the stadium in east nashville kind of you know well josephus kind of filled the void when i kind of left and was doing saw with reno yeah josephus kind of you know stepped in there and they trained him because he was like the shelby street broad josephus was the one that hooked lt and them up with that world and got all those people coming so you know like i tried to tell tony tj's you know TJ's might be running the same night, but it's further enough apart that, you know, you right. want to draw your people. So it's like, you know, when one door closes, another one's open. It's kind of saying, you know, so cause when I kind of stepped away from the stadium in and was doing Saul, you know, Josephus come in and, and you know, it was other people that came around. And, and Tony actually probably did a lot better, you know, because when Josephus first started bringing them people, I'm talking about before Joe was even wrestling. Right, they would bring tons of people down there. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. You know, so it's kind of like the Monday Night Wars. Not that they were at war, but you know, TJ grew good consistently, and Tony drew good consistently. Right, and then right. just like anything else, you know, it's hard to to do that stuff every week and stay consistent. You know, like when we would draw a big house in Millersville, the next week or two, it might be the shits, and then it's kind of like you build back up and you have right. a big your big show, and then you kind of start over. But, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the natural progression of, of a promotion, too, you know. Hey, everyone. This is Shane from Insane Shane's World. I release wrestling figures of enhancement talent, mid-card wrestlers, and wrestlers that you never thought would have a figure available. So if you're interested in adding a really cool and rare figure to your collection, then don't hesitate to contact me at shamtheman73 at gmail.com. That's S-H-A-M, the man 73 at gmail.com. You can also join my Facebook group. Just search Insane Shane's World.
If you're a fan of rock music, I'd really appreciate it if you took a moment to check out my podcast. It's called the Decibel Geek Podcast. We've been doing it for about 10 years now. We talk about Kiss. We talk about Ozzy. We talk about Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses and Metallica. We talk about all the legends from the 60s and on up to brand new bands that you should be hearing about today that you're not going to hear on the radio. It's Decibel Geek. Wherever you find your podcasts, you'll find us there. If you love rock and roll, I can almost guarantee you're going to love my show. So I remember working for Porter. That was my first promotion. I worked in Nashville, and Aaron Kamara got me that gig, and he booked me, and we would be in there, and we would be doing things. And then a lot of the guys, like Drew Haskins, Nick Iggy, they would be saying, well, we're going to work tomorrow night at, at Tony's, and you'd be like, well, I want to go do that. How do I make that happen? And then you'd find out that Porter's like, you can't work for me if you're going to work for that old Tony Falk, you know? And then then you finally start to talk to people like, you know, TJ Weatherby would come to those shows. And, and honestly, I feel like TJ was there because Kevin was there and also to see if there was anybody worth a damn that he could take and, and bring to yeah. Millersville. And I, I got to liking TJ and talking to him. And, you know, TJ's a great guy. And I would never say a bad word about the man at all. I don't know a bad thing about him. So it's not not that I would say anything, but I, I love that family. I think the world of them. But TJ said, hey, if you ever want to come out to Millersville, please, you know, talk to me. And that's how it ended up. Now, I don't want to get into all that yet because I want to kind of put that at the end. But anyway, long story short, I I understood the element of not being able to work for another promotion because you're, you're held hostage by only really just a booking. It wasn't even a paying booking. You know what I'm saying? So at first I realized, Hey, hang on, I'm, I'm getting to do this in front of people. And that starts to wear off because you're like, well, I'm actually doing something and I'm getting heat and I'm not, ever going to say I was ever the best at anything, but I will say I was getting some heat and I didn't want to, I felt like I was contributing. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And at that point when I'm contributing to something and he's not even giving us a hot dog, you know, that's the other thing is like he, he was, I I could get into all that. I don't really want to get into that on the air, but long story short, Porter essentially would hold you hostage with other bookings. Like, well, I'll get you in Kentucky. You can manage Dutch Mantel against Lawler if you want to, but you can't go work. He did did that to Tony too. He did that to me and Tony when we were renting his ring when USWO first started. Yeah. Uh, Farron was his partner when we moved to that second building. We were running Fridays, and uh, something stupid happened with Patrick Miller and Kid Thriller said something yeah. because of something like you're you're talking about, about you can't work here, you can't work there. So they, they said something on the mic that wasn't real. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. Patrick Miller and Porter were both dead. So, right. I mean, it was something like that. They said something that offended Porter. So what does Porter do? Tony, they're they're either fired or you're you're losing the ring next show. Right. Exactly. So Porter would always use that you know against somebody, but you know and that's what ran Farron off because Farron's like, well, this is our show. You're working for us. We're renting the ring. Right. So you know Tony, not standing up for herself. Farron leaves. You know, still got the ring with Porter. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, you know, I would take 10 Tony Fox over 100 Mike Porters. And again, he, he's gone. I would never, but yeah. it's and just. Don't get a, me wrong. I don't, I, you know, Porter, what, our, my problem with Porter was I was standing up for me and Tony. Sure. 
Yeah. You know, and my problem and, was me standing up for myself, you know? So, you know. and, and again, he did a lot of things for me and I'll always appreciate it. But at the same time, it was kind of a yeah. deal to where he would hold things over your head. But anyway, so we do a little thing on our show that we like to do that, that what it is, is it's like your first thoughts of this person, whether you want to go into detail, it's fine. Or if you just want to say great guy, whatever we do a little thing called the name game. And, you know, I had one plan for hot rod, but I tell you that hot rod, he don't need anybody to help him. I love hot rod to death, but he don't oh, need yeah. anybody to help him talk. He is a one man podcast himself. So, and he actually should start a podcast. That's a whole other story, but would you be willing to play the name game? Kroll? Sure. sure. All right. Well, let's hit that music DJ and we'll be right back. All right, we are back with the name game with Kroll and Kroll. We're going to just name some names here, and you can go as much into detail as you like. If you don't, it's okay. We'll skip it. So the first one I've been told to start with is the Scorpion, Pete Cannon. He was the booker for Terry Rice when I first started, and he was the the guy that was on me a lot saying, don't do backdrops, don't don't throw drop kicks. Big guys don't do that. But no, Pete. Pete, I don't think, really cared for me at first. But uh, later on, after I think he got used to me and all the, you know, water under the bridge, he booked me in an angle in Columbia as like his uh, original partner from the 70s uh, son or grandson. So I was like the super scorpion number two. Yeah. And like come in to get revenge on him. So so as soon as that happened, me and him got along fine. Yeah. But I mean... Yeah. When he would chop you, his hand was so big, he would hit you on your shoulder right there, and that hurt like hell. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. You know, like your shoulder blade, his hand was so big that he would chop you so hard that that would actually hurt like somebody hit you with their fist. Yeah, but man. No, Pete was, Pete was a, he was a big son of a gun, but he was a good dude. Yeah, and actually stepfather of Wolfie D, if nobody yep. knows that. Yep. So anyway, okay, the next guy we're going to say is Dale Storm. Dale Storm. I actually had to do a job for him. And uh, the thing with uh, Terry Rice, he was running Dickerson Road, which is probably three miles from where Porter was running at the t- at the time. So uh, here I am, green as goose, working out of a grocery store, selling tickets in advance, bringing 50 or more people. Yeah. And, uh, and barely in the first match. And uh, I had to... You know, they're like the last week they lost the building. So last week there, I had to, I had to put a manager over because I was in the doghouse with Pete as a booker, oh, which man. is fine. But like I, my my point, I tried to argue with him. It's like how, how can I keep people coming when y'all want me to sell tickets in advance? But so basically, the way those shows ran, I was the first match. My people would leave by the second or third match. Ben Jordan, Steve Neely were in the third match in a tag. Their people would leave because they drew pretty good back then. Sure. People would leave. So when Pete got to the main event in his match, it'd be, you know, less than half a house there. So right. he got mad when I told him that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but as far as Dale, Dale was all right. Dale, uh, Dale was pretty much a marquee. I don't know the financials, but him and Pete were the ones that had Terry Rice propped up because uh, you know Terry Rice's angle. He sure. canceled more shows than he's ever ran. But. Right, right. You know, yeah. But yeah, 
Uh, a quick uh, funny Dale story is that back in the the 90s, everybody had the hotlines, you know, the little voicemail boxes where you could put your card on, you'd have like a two-minute message, and then they could leave a, a voicemail if they wanted to. Yeah. So you'd call, like TJ's was 664-2388, and uh, you'd call it, call the Southern, well, Terry Rice was the one that re- uh, kind of originated that or had it first that i've seen so uh dale storm and and terry rice had a big falling out and uh we're running opposition against each other for like five minutes before they all got canceled out but uh tony tony used to gas me up to call terry's hotline and do <laughs> stale storm because i could do his voice i'd go terry rice i'm gonna get you know that kind of shit yeah, and then then Terry Rice, we would call Terry Rice because Terry Rice always worked like the graveyard shift at an Exxon or somewhere. Yeah, and I'm you know just talking wrestling, and he's like that motherfucker, you know. So I I was Tony had me gassing that up. And I'm like <laughs> I'm like Tony, if somebody gets hurt in this, you you, you know. But Tony used to be bad to gas me up to do ribs. So. <laughs> but yeah, that was pretty funny. I thought that is funny. That's hilarious. How about how about former guest of ours, Hammerjack? What can you say about him? Mr. Two Left Feet. Hammerjack's a good dude, man. He's He's been around forever. I, I used to rib him because on his Facebook said he was born in 88. And <laughs> I'm thinking, so when you wrestled for TJ in 99, you were 11 years old. <laughs> 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 no. The thing we always rib Hammerjack about is there was a guy running the fairgrounds after TNA moved to Florida. And uh, he brought Sid in. They had a thing where Sid was working Lone Star, and everybody, everybody you know, was just throwed out, finished, and everybody was hitting the ring. He was choke slamming. When he choke slammed Hammerjack, I was outside doing the handheld, and Hammerjack's other foot got about two inches off the ground. And he sandbagged the choke slam, and Sid, <laughs> I was sitting there looking. It's like Ben Sid made eye contact. He's like, motherfucker. <laughs> but no, nah, Kenny's one of my boys. I love him. He's great. It's awesome. How about how about the um, we just talking about him just a second ago? Would recent guest Hot Rod Biggs? Oh, Rod, man, hell, he does my taxes. Shit, I I wish he'd in a better spot financially for himself, but he's been going through some shit the last few years with his health and with his personal shit. But he, anybody I could help, I I've done a lot for him. He's done a lot for me. But shit, I look thank the world of Hot Rod. He's great. This is my, and this is my bad impersonation of Hot Rod, but it's all in love, okay? I just remember hearing, Jimmy Street, what is he going to do tonight? He's got Sean Hoodrich. Is, are they going to get that victory? I'm I'm just, you know, love Hot Rod. As as, probably one of the main reasons I love Rod is because as a booker trying to run a show dealing with egos and babies and all the bullshit and personal drama people bring to the show, yeah. Rod to show up and whatever you need, regardless of whether he agrees with it or disagrees with it or likes the guy, don't argue, he will do this. And he will thump somebody for you too, man. He's a guy that will fight. If he's your buddy and he's your friend, he will fight for you till the end. And I'm, I know that rhymed, but what I mean by that is Hot Rod yeah. is a real one. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, tried and true. 
Yeah, and that and that's yeah. absolutely admirable of him. Love him to death. Think the world of him, and always will. I, I never knew because you know I would never catch our show live, unfortunately, and I didn't have DVR at the time. So when you had him on on YouTube, now I've been watching him, and I was like, man, he was putting me over like a million dollars. Like I never knew it, you know. And and I bring it up to him, and he's like, oh man, I I I just doing it, you know. That was my job. I I didn't. And I'm like, I appreciate that though. You don't know how much that meant to me because I. You you know, I never knew it at the time. It was it was awesome to hear. So, okay, the, the next guy we got coming up is Devon Day. Tell us a little bit about him. Man, Devon, man, it's sad he's no longer with us, man. There's like so many of them around here. But Devon was from up around Paducah. Uh, he was some of the ones that come in the car loads. But, I mean, what a talent, dude. There's a match on USWO the, and from 2002, uh, him and Eron, man. And this is when Eron would go running spots and shit. And they, they did this one spot. It's just a simple, basic spot. But, man, it's just so beautiful. Yeah. Just watching it, you know, for like a minute and a half, they're just hitting the ropes, drop down, leapfrog, you know, just I love that spot. But as far as D-Line, man, great dude, man. Unlimited potential should have been, you know, like so many on a higher you know, he could have, you know, if he had his shit together, he could, there's no limits to where he could have been. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. How about Jeff Daniels, the Crippler? The Crippler. Rather go to my mama's funeral home. They don't call me the Crippler. (laughs) You know, I've never had a problem with Jeff. I mean, he's always, you know, whether I was booking or he was booking, you know, he'd always show up and do it. You know, I mean, he's a good all-around dude, you know I mean? Yeah. when I I think the best he ever was around here is when him and Timmy was together. Oh yeah, disturbing behavior. Yeah. Love him. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, I'm going to bring that guy up too. The the man who could scare anyone, and he's actually just a really chill guy. Is Mr. Tim Ernesto. So, oh man, if anybody around here doesn't love Tim Ernesto, they I'll be damn. We're yeah. actually trying to find him for the show that we're doing coming up. Yeah, I mean, you know, he just just where he's been and what he knows and what he can do just. Seriously, I mean it's we were uh, we we did a a big USWO taping in March of '05 at the Grand Slam with Shane and them, and we did a big angle at the end of it where where Tony stayed babyface, but the U- rest of the USWO got into it with the CWA. It was actually pretty good shit. Yeah, and just just to kind of return the favor and them to Shane for letting us coming down there doing a Sunday taping, and we actually packed the damn thing out. Which surprised me. So, you know, at the end of the night, I'm turning heel. Tony's still babyface and the whole, you know, it's like the locker, you know. So, but, uh, Renesto, for some reason, was mad at Anthony Wayne because he had said something smart about the saw gimmick, you know, because he, he, he made a comment about something about learning to work the gimmick. Oh so the first time Renesto had seen him was at this taping. So, he was like, I'm going to get the motherfucker. I'm going to get the motherfucker. I was like, we'll wait till after the show's done. Everybody's out of the building. Y'all got something to say. Take care of it. Then. So, sure. So so when we're doing this big like beat down, it's kind of like a battle royal, but it was all the, you know, it was like a big pull apart with 10 Columbia guys and all the USWO guys. Yeah. So it's like uh, Shane had a, a, somebody had Anthony Wayne in the, Somebody had, I think Shane had Renesto down in the corner, like with his foot on his throat, like choking him, you know. And then it's like somebody, you know, like about a battle royal, Shane pairs off with somebody else. So Anthony Wayne comes over in the corner. 
And it's like, and it's like somebody turned the damn light switch on. Ernesto was back up on his feet, just like boom. <laughs> but man, far as the best striking punches, kicks, man, just like uh, Cahagas, man, his striking, his punching, everything's just on point, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He's a he's a real one too. And I can, you know, to me, he was just always kind of what's I, I never unfortunately got to know the man, but I also never felt like I wanted to bug the man. Does that make sense? No. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. I, I just kind of wanted to I always shook his hand, gave him my respects. But he was always one of those real dudes and and, and just you could just tell the business. I'm gonna tell dudes. you a real good I, I I can't believe I almost forgot this, but here here's how Timmy and his family is. And this this is what got me over over with Timmy and his brother, we had a, when we were running Madison, we had all the Porter's guys coming over, trying to get booked. We had Burt's guys coming over, trying to get booked. We had all the TNA flow over guys trying to just get work. Sure. So what, so we had two, you know, we had more guys than we ever needed, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so Timmy's brother's getting bugged by, I don't even remember where it was. It was in Texas or Arkansas or somewhere, wherever Timmy's brother at the time, Tom Ernesto Jr., he uh he kept bugging us to get these guys booked. There was a uh, two guys doing like a like a military gimmick, two little fat guys and they had a manager, so so Timmy told him said, Well it's gonna be next to no money because there's no damn money, you know, because there's too many sure. people to pay now. Sure. So these guys were coming through or something, so we booked them. They come in, the guy one guy gave me his number because he wanted me to send him a copy of the tape. So, and, uh, the building we ran was a guy that the guy that owned it at the time was running a construction company out of the front of it, his little office and shit. So he was trying to do like a flea market and have a store and stuff in it. But, uh, he, he was there, uh, on the next morning at his office. And after these guys worked, I guess they stayed in town and they were mad because they didn't like the, you know, Porter or Tony payoff they got. So they come up there the next morning and stole my banner and one of my cordless mics. Oh, Where on man. Sunday, we were always up there doing stuff for the TV, and Tony and them had their little training thing. So Tony and them are already there, so I go up there just to pick something up or drop something off. So I walk in, and on our back wall, our banner's gone. And I go, Tony, where's our banner? And Tony goes, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> so I get to looking and my microphone's gone. Oh man. So the guy that we rented the building from, he said, uh, those guys came in here yesterday all mad cause y'all didn't pay them or something. And I said, really? So I called the guy up. I was like, Hey, did y'all take my shit? And the guy immediately stooged on the other two. He goes, man, it wasn't us. I'm like, look, y'all knew what y'all were getting into. It wasn't like y'all come up here and got on a payoff. Right. Y'all know it was, you, you know, it was shit money. You took the booking, you know, so you knew what you were getting before you got up here. Yeah. yeah. So when Ernesto found out, he called his brother. Tom went down there, whatever he did, he threatened to kill them or whatever he did. I don't know. This is in Texas or Arkansas, but the next Friday, Ernesto's brother drove up and brought my shit back to me. So that's why <laughs> Ernesto is over with me. Yeah, and I'm yeah. sure I'm sure that was a quick handoff too. I'm I'm guaranteeing yeah. that. <laughs> you always I mean, you know, when Tom and Tom Senior would come in, you could always feel a presence there. And it wasn't like a negative presence. I don't mean it like that. What I mean yeah. was like there is like that's wrestling. That's wrestling is flowing through these gentlemen. You know what I mean? So yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah, anyway. Brian, Brian, I, I, I gave Brian a bunch of, he comes up every now and then I give him a bunch of stuff I find, but I gave him some a little shoot, mini shoot. Cause when I first started playing around with doing TV and stuff, that's when Tim and, and Jeff were the NWA tag champs. So I got a lot of stuff with them. They're yeah. like shooting, they're like shooting, taking shots at Bert and different little <laughs> cute little shit. So he's got some of that he'll be putting up pretty soon. Well, it's funny you brought him up because he's become a friend of mine. I didn't actually know Brian because he'd gotten out of the business by the time I got in. And, you know, we've gotten to know each other because we're both now, you know, in this content creation world that you've been yeah. in for so long. And talk about Booty Call, Brian Turner's VHS Rehab, Brian Hardison. Talk about those guys, Dan, everybody. Uh, Dan and, and Brian, hell, they, they were, they I think they were working for Porter and them when they come around, but. But Brian and Dan, they were in that little clique with uh, Kid Thriller and uh, Slacker J, and they yeah. were all kind of mentored by Corey's, you know, Corey Williams. So they were, oh, you yeah. know, they just, you know, which Slacker was one of our, you know, diehard guys at the time. So they just eventually, you know, made it from Porter's end over to our end. We just started using them. And that's when they just kind of meshed with the uh, Athena in the mix and just kind of took off like a rocket force, you know. Great team, great. Yeah, yeah, Athena, I always heard this, and I'm not saying that I'm any good as a manager. We're not getting into that. I don't need to hear this, but what I'm saying is a lot of people would say, yeah, you're pretty good, but you're no Athena. Well, <laughs> and I was like, I can't compare to her. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, and in so many ways. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But the thing I like about Athena is that she was always outgoing, like, I mean, I don't know if you ever watched a lot of that USWO, but we always had a, a like uh, Tony would get on the mic and talk about Genghis, the guy that did our commentary. Yeah, he uh, he was just another guy that hung around, became like the voice of our show at the time. And uh, Tony was talking about with all these girls coming in from TNA, like Tracy Brooks, ODB, and uh, uh, the beautiful people, which the Damn, I can't think of her name, but the one that was married to David Richards, you know, as eight or 10 women, we would have women's matches every, you know, but anyway, Tony got on the mic, just making something out of nothing is going, yeah, we're going to have a winner date with Genghis contest. So man, Athena just kind of took that and we started doing all these vignettes. So we did this big, big, long drawed out thing where Athena was trying to influence Tony to let her win, you know, because she's got to be the, not that she wants a date with Genghis, just that she's the top recognized woman, you know? Right. And right. Uh, so it, uh, we wind up like doing a, a shoot voting and TJ actually won the vote because <laughs> TJ would bring a shitload of his, you know, click and they were always ribbing him. So when we did a shoot vote and it was ODB, but <laughs> the, the shoot vote from that, that night, it was TJ. But we wound up shooting a vignette at a little mom and pop uh, meet and three place we had uh, called uh, Charlie Bob's. They were famous for a, a thumper hamburger, but it's no longer okay. there. Yeah. So we went over we went over and filmed this uh, win a date with Genghis contest and it's ODB. And so he's like trying to play it up like he still lives at home with his mom and like bragging about to ODB. And she's like, yeah, you know, whatever, dude, you know. So <laughs> like she opens the door for him. And then like before that, Athena and Gordon come in like trying to sabotage it. So they pay off the, the waitress to let her be the waitress. So Athena's over there with the with a blonde wig and Gordon's got like the little fake mustache with a wig on. 
Yeah. And uh, the way, just the way I edited it, it was pretty funny, like with the music and a little. But anyway, the the date winds up where they dump food on Genghis and and uh, ruin the date and everything. But then we blow the blow off between Genghis and the date and the thing is they have a food fight. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked. We talked the ring and bought about a hundred dollars worth of groceries. You know, flour and and the people got into that so good. The next thing Athena did with the valet named Lisa Faison, they it worked right into that. So you know, she was real good with the creative and helping with the vignettes. And of course, she just on camera, she was awesome. You know, a natural, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Definitely didn't get to meet her. I've you know known so many people that speak so highly of her. It's just uh, out yeah. of this world. But all, so. but all that shit. All that stuff is on YouTube on my channel, if not Brian's channel, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely go follow those. Absolutely. We'll cover that in just a second, I promise. How about Jeremiah Plunkett? What can you say about him? Man, nothing bad at all. He's, damn, man, Plunkett. The only thing bad I can say about Plunkett is I wish he was a lot higher than where he is, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. but, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better hand. I mean, he's. He's a good dude, man. Not only is he a good dude, he, he you know, he's deserving of everything he's got and hadn't got, you know. But Absolutely. I mean, if just like that angle we did with Plunkett and Kojima, you know, if I'd have known that'd have been TJ's last time he'd have been at a wrestling show alive, you know. But I mean, that was you talk about a magical night. That was a magical night. Everything Absolutely. just went off. You know, we had hiccups with like the fire marshal and. TJ uh, bullshit in the fire monster. He showed up like three times wanting a head count. A lot of people didn't know this, but TJ's because uh, I got the the certificate from the city up there. His legal amount of people counting wrestlers, everybody total in the building was like 176. So we had over probably 250 people in that building that night plus the wrestling. <laughs> but uh, he would TJ would like. After we done sold it out, he would like uh, people would come in. He'd sell them a ticket. He said, "You got to walk around back, and go in the back door," <laughs> because yeah. the fucking person was there. Right, exactly. Yeah, oh, man. But now, fuck it, man. He fuck yeah. it, man. I mean, you know, I'm not, I know he's grateful, but for working for the NWA nowadays. But man, when I watch some of that stuff, they, you know, they got more knuckleheads than they do good guys, and just him and Alex Taylor, man, they. They should be, you know, in the top 10 guys that they utilize, in, in my opinion, you know, but I'm yeah. not Billy Corgan, so, right. you know, that's right. just. Yeah, I would love to see him get some kind of great push. I know they were talking about maybe taking him in the, the juniors and stuff. I keep up with Plunkett. You know, I, I don't want to get into yeah. anything really negative here because I love Plunkett. And, and, and you know, I, I did, I, I was in a bad place. Let me just say that. I, I've, I've addressed this and, and already hopefully fix this with Plunkett, but I was in a bad spot and, and I, I did some things wrong to Plunkett that I shouldn't have. I borrowed some money and long story short, I, I, I wasn't in a good spot. And, but the, the time that I got to fix that, you know, part of, part of my journey of getting right, you, you have to fix your, your past transgressions. And when I was able to finally do that and fix that, I tell you, it, it really took a big thing off of my heart because I knew how good of a guy that dude is and maybe maybe what happened with he and i is is not fixable at a total level but i've done 
I feel like I've done a lot to try to fix that, to make it right. And in knowing that, I know that I, I, I don't know how deep I want to get into this, Kroll. Let me think here. I'm sorry. I don't mean to take over no, your show. But we got all day. <laughs> what I mean by that is, you know, I wish that it never had happened. But with when it came down to it with Plunky, you know, he was like, man, it's cool. And long story short, when I when I cleared that up, I felt this massive relief because I feel like, you know, the, the higher power was like, hey, not only did you do something right that you needed to fix, you also cleaned up a you know with a good dude. You know that's that's one yeah. of the good dudes. You know, and I, I've always been a huge fan of Plunkett as far as him and you know the Untouchables. You know when I was put with them, and I, I'll kind of lead into this. When I was put with them, I was not you know I was not ready at that time, and they were so good. I felt like I just kind of screwed the pooch on that one to say the least. And it, it was kind of, again, I was in a bad spot at that time, but when it came down to it, I was not ready for that. So that, I guess, let me lead into this conversation here. So anybody that's heard my story knows that I was playing a character named Prince Omar Alcazan. And my mentor gave me that. And a lot of the guys really liked it because it gave some heat. Now, a lot of the guys were like kind of hit or miss on it because I didn't necessarily look Middle Eastern. Let's just say that anybody that knows me, I'm from the mountain of Caucasus. Let's just say that. I'm very Caucasian. And I had guys like Burt Prentice, Dutch Mantel saying, man, why are you doing that gimmick? You, you, you don't, you don't, that doesn't make sense, you know? So when I was doing that gimmick, TJ hired me to come out to Saul to do that gimmick. And he brought me and a guy named Dyron Flynn and we were working there. And that's when I first met you. And we started talking and stuff like that. And I kind of got out of the business. And my, again, because I was not in a good place personally at that time, some of this stuff is a little fuzzy, but we leave Porter's, end up going to TJ's, working there solely, end up leaving, coming back. And then you and I kind of have a talk and you're like, Hey man, I, I don't really see you in the Omar gimmick and I want to do more with you, but I don't really see you in the gimmick. And can we do the Jimmy street and, and kind of lead me into the, the thought process that you were having at that time? Well, uh, at the time, Reno and Paul's uh, partnership with the TV was just kind of in the toilet. And uh, I had to kind of been dormant for a few months and just sitting on the sidelines. And uh, TJ had always wanted me back up there. So I told him, well, if I do, Reno's going to give me the TV. So, you know, I mean... We were on a you know pretty good channel at the time, CW fifty eight. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. But I mean, you know, I mean, look at it this way, Jimmy. I mean, what you see, how you see something, is not how somebody else might see something. So a fresh pair of eyes on something, right, might give you a better perspective. So yeah, yeah I mean, in twenty twenty two, with all this ideology of ever like politically, you think you would be doing that gimmick without getting like no. No, you see what I'm saying. So that totally. that was my mindset. Is like you know we couldn't put that on TV without offending somebody. Sure, sure. It wasn't nothing against. Now, like in Columbia or some of these little towns, like in Millersville, just uh, on a non televised event. Yeah, you could have got by with that probably today. But, right. You know, I mean, right. You know, right. But no, yeah, it no. wasn't nothing personal. 
that's what guys used to kill me when I was always a booker. It's like, well, I don't think pro, well, I don't have to like you. And it ain't about liking <laughs> you. It's about, it's about getting, it's about bringing a group of people together to be something bigger than, than an individual. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. No. Yeah. And I don't want you to think I'm coming at you like, no, that. no, I no, I understand. You that's, know, I mean, I, you know, I've been, I've been through that. I've been shit on as a worker. So I, I you know, I've been one of the boys, you know, I don't yeah. feel like one of the boys anymore, but you know, I right. mean, I've been on both sides of the team. So I, I understand. No, you know, just you, like with not, not to get, not to get on a, a tirade about Dyron, but I, I don't have a problem with Dyron. You know, right. I mean, you know how he feels. I don't, I would, I'd like to sit down and just personally talk to him. Like, well, why do you feel this way? You know? Yeah. Because when when I came back up there in September of 2012, TJ's business was in the shitter. It was. And Marcus Pastorius was just using him to to launch the crossfire bullshit. Right. And right. Uh, not that it's bullshit, but to me, he's right. bullshit. But, right. you know, right. that's a different story. But, you know, yeah. at the time, when I come back up there, everybody had been the champion multiple times except Dyron Flynn. That's sure. why I put the belt on Dyron. What do you think the first thing TJ said to me when I put the belt on Dyron? Why are you putting it on him? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, so I could get that reaction out of people. If you feel that way, the people out there are going to feel that way. Right. So, you know? yeah, let, yeah, let me say this real quick. So I leave there. You talk to me and you're like, hey, man, I, I don't see you in the gimmick. We're going to be doing TV. And it was understood. And I don't even think I gave you any pushback on it because I was losing my faith in the gimmick as well. When you hear when you hear, you know, Bert and you respect Bert, when you hear Dutch and you hear other guys saying, I don't think you should do that gimmick. I don't see you in that gimmick. And you start to think, well, maybe, you know, my mentor was doing it as the same thing that you said, like in CWA and in Columbia. Columbia, like in Millersville without TV, yeah. that gimmick can work off of TV. But if you're going to go some things, so to kind of keep my story going here, just a second, you tell me that. And I'm like, okay, I'm fine with it. And I'm feeling good. Cause you, you were not somebody that was like, we're taking it off of you. And then we're going to, you know, throw you in the pits. It wasn't like that. And then I'm leaving and I'm, I shook TJ's hand coming in and shook it leaving all the time. Always talk to him for a second. Mm -hmm. And TJ kind of came to me and he was like, you okay with that? He was like, you okay taking the gimmick off and i said yeah i'm good I'm, it makes sense what he's saying i never i honestly never had a problem with it now again other people were in my ear saying i don't think you should do that but it was what it was and i was happy about it now i come back and you put me with plunky and drew and drew and plunky at that time as the untouchables were firing on all cylinders okay mm -hmm. and i come in there and i'm trying to be what they need me to be. And I sucked at it because I'd been hiding behind this middle Eastern Prince gimmick. And it was finally, that was that veil was taken off for a lack of a better term. And I had to be me and I did not know who I was. So as I'm leaving and coming in, I'm like, man, I, I'm not good enough to do this. You know, they're cutting promos and they cut a promo, drew cuts a promo. And then it's my turn and I'm trying to say something good. And it always sucked. And, and it was like six or seven takes and finally I would get it done but it was it was turning into more of a repetitive thing versus a natural thing that I came to be better at then I leave I, I drop off 
Plunkett ends up getting to work. Kojima, all these Drews doing his thing. The Untouchables break up. And I, I get booked at USWO. So it, it, the way it happens with Zach Harris or or, or Nick or, or Dyron or somebody gets me booked at, at the Sawmill USWO. And I'm Jimmy there. And everything's cool. And I'm getting better. And I'm getting more aware of what Jimmy is. And then, then you meet me there. And this is the, the way it worked out now. My memory was a little little off there but you were coming in there and you were helping out because you obviously uswo is your part of your blood you know mm-hmm. and you said hey man what do you think about coming back to saw and it was kind of like i was getting called up to the big leagues at that point <laughs> and i was like yes i do want that and you know it was kind of at the same time that the uswo just wasn't going to last there you know what i mean and so saw and you were like we're getting tv nwa saw this kind of thing everything goes and then boom i come back and at that point you came to me and you were like i want to do this gimmick jns sports agency you're going to be a sports agent you're not going to be like the classic manager you're going to be something fresh and new and modern and I, i felt like at that point i got to find myself again in the uswo i got to find my 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 abilities again and and as soon as i came in there i was much more ready to be in the locker room of all those legends man all those dudes that knew what they were doing on a nightly basis and at that point i felt like then you know but then at that point my life and my personal life had gotten the best of me and so that's kind of what led me to ultimately leaving and moving back to Virginia because it honestly me moving back to Virginia saved my life and it was not easy Jared right it was not easy when I first came back but but I eventually came out of it and I'm in a much better place now and I I wish there was an NWA saw now because I could well you know we'll get into that but at the same time I'm in a better place I have a happy life but long Long story short, I thank you. I want to thank you for for seeing something in me. And I thank you for giving me that opportunity because it felt so good to me to be able to not only, you know, kind of come out of that. But even though I was in a really dark place in my life at that time, it it really meant the world to me. And that, that was something I looked forward to instead of trying to do what I was doing in my personal life. Like you, know? you just like the confidence in yourself. I mean, I mean, nothing yeah. changed between you and that time. I mean, you were a good manager as Omar. So you take the thing off. You just, you know, had to get, find your mojo there for a minute. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's kind of, and, and it's not like this is, I had you on here to clear that up. I had you on here because and you know I why TJ probably asked you if you were okay with that. Why is that doing It's because we always wanted the guys to want to be there. That way we're getting the best out of them. Yeah. Of you course. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you ain't feeling it, I mean, you know, I mean, you're out there just going through the motions and, you know. Yeah, and nobody wants that. Nobody yeah. nobody wants that. But I love my time at the NWA Saw, and, and it meant so much to me. And I guess, you know, that kind of leads me into the, the current. And I, I, I kind of took over your conversation here. But, you know, it the NWA Saw ended, and then it became AWA New South Championship Wrestling, and you were running that. Talk about the end of NWA and end of that a little bit, Crow. Well, the... NWA saw ended when Billy Corgan pretty much, you yeah. know, bought the NWA because right. all that shit was kayfabe from everybody until Cauliflower Alley. But, uh, 
the reason we wound up in Franklin is because when we shut down Millersville about a year after TJ died, uh, Chris Garrett, who was like one of TJ's little flunkies, he was into it with TJ's old lady Angie at the time, and he was constantly calling codes on us. So yeah. the last four or five months we were in Millersville, the after TJ had died, the fire marshal was making us keep the back door open 80 inches, and there's no way to heat or to cool the building in winter or summer. Yeah. And then yeah. the landlord wouldn't fix the roof, and it was you know how bad that locker room would flood. Oh yeah. When it rained. Oh yeah. And, and then the guy, I'm going to cuss, the damn tire shop that was beside us, those stupid motherfuckers <laughs> cut the water off the whole strip mall. They had the, the main on the water, so I'm opening up on Friday, and one week I ain't got water because they're mad at the landlord because right. he he would split the the water bill down with how many tenants was in the building in that little strip mall, and it was just knucklehead shit after knucklehead shit and just, you know, yeah. After being there from September 2012 to after TJ died and running there, if it wasn't for Mark Couchin and Hammerjack, I wouldn't have made it 11 and a half months after TJ died because I I took all that shit on by myself, financially responsible and right. stuff. And if it wasn't for Mark Couchin and Hammerjack and the boys working for Peanuts, right. Right. we wouldn't have had that extra year there. Yeah, and you know, but, but one of my TJ. goals that I'm proud of is I got TJ to an eighth year anniversary. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so he was actually his runner in that building was actually eight years and two months. So we shut down in April of 2015. Yeah. So yeah. a few months after that, Theron started running shows in Kentucky, and he he wound up doing that uh, New South, which originally goes back to what Saul originally was. Right. Right. So, you know, it just kind of came full circle. And, you know, Farron asked me to help him. I still had the TV. And so we were just kind of meshed together. And, you know, I was still an NWA promoter. So, yeah, that's how it became NWA New South. And then a year or so after that, he sold it to James Carver, who did the Mr. USA gimmick at the time, who's one of my best friends. Yeah. And, and thank the world of. He, for some reason, he, for about the first two years he ran it, I I stayed up there and booked it, and we had some a pretty good little run there. Got the building looking good for TV, and then you know, so that's pretty much how that that came about. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it was kind of like I'm getting my head right, but I'm also got that f f fear of missing out. So I'm watching it from afar and kind of like, man, I wish I was there. Looks so good, yeah. you know. It, but the loss of TJ that was such a a major loss for everyone, and you know that man put a lot of faith in me before a lot of people did. You know, Porter booked me because someone else Aaron told him to book me he wanted to bring me in and do this gimmick and all that stuff you know not knocking Porter but I didn't have any kind of like deep kinship with him you know in certain ways it's thankful but in other ways I, I could have yeah. learned some stuff from him but when it comes down to it TJ I had such a 
deep thought and caring for. I, I you know, the loss of him, I, I think it was felt by so many people there. And I, I know I'm just one person that felt it, but I know there was the whole building that night, the, the tribute to him and the boys won the titles and, you know, all that. It it was just such a special night. And, and I yeah. really got to give you kudos for how you did that, because not only were you taking on the weight of the world at that point, you know what I mean? And you were, I'm sure, and nobody knew that because you never let it show you know what i'm saying but the other thing is is you know you're replacing somebody who had been there and and had been such a major presence it it had to have been tough you know yeah 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 i mean i'd give anything just to go and eat and sit down and just talk to tj because after that show with plunkett and kojima men cersei had to fly to vegas that saturday morning so it's like saturday morning we get up, I go to TJ's to uh, settle up with him because men Cersei paid for Kojima, but we did a meet and greet. So I had, you know, ticket money to give him. And plus, he didn't want to pay me in front yeah. of everybody yeah. because it was, I had so much fun that night because like TJ was hanging out, you know, because that's why TJ ran wrestling. It was like his family's weekend cookout or going to the movies, you know, it was yeah. just yeah. their little time to, to socialize. It's right. just as much, you know, and he loved, and one thing I loved about Millersville is seeing TJ look out that concession window watching his kids wrestle. Yeah. It was beautiful. Wasn't you it? Know? Yeah. Yes, it was. But, yeah. uh, so anyway, like after the show, you know, I wore out cause man, I'd be working 10 hour days and going, getting off at two and flying to Millersville and, so my, my Fridays were like an 18 hour deal sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm sitting up there, it's like after the show and TJ's like, uh-uh, you know, he's not wanting to smart, you know, cause T and that's another thing. TJ, I don't know what he made, but he had to make some good money that night. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, he's like, uh, like tr- he's like trying to talk to me in front of everybody, he, you know, he's like, can you come by the house in the morning <laughs> and we settle up on it? I said, yeah. So Next morning, about 10 o'clock, I'm, I go to his house and him, Kevin, uh, and one other person, I don't remember who it was. But uh, so we settled up on our money and I went to Vegas. And that was the last time I actually talked to TJ Man. was in his house that Saturday after that. So Nick Nikers texts me that Tuesday and we're flying back Wednesday to come back from Vegas. And, uh, you know, he texts me, said TJ's in the hospital. Yeah. So, you know, so we get back from, you know, hell, I don't, I don't know if you were around when he was in the hospital, two weeks he's in the hospital, but man, there was a ton of us always out there around the clock. Oh yeah. Yeah. I came you know, and saw him a I couple mean, times. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was always 10, 12, 20 people out there. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, you were there when I came in there one time. I remember yeah, that. But, but I yeah, mean, you know, there was many nights T uh, Cersei stood up, stayed out there around the clock with some of them. Yeah. But I mean, you know, not just the wrestling man, TJ. One thing that really touched me about TJ is chicken hat. Charles lived up the street that I lived on. Right. Right. And, uh, his mother died and his mother's the one that took care of him. Yeah. TJ called me crying, wanting to make sure somebody was going to take care of him. He was going to like, let him move in with him. 
Wow. That's the kind of person TJ was. And that, that if you don't know who Chicken Hat is, he's probably the most, he is, what is that guy that's the WWE fan that was always at every show? He's like, he has a Russian name. Any, I can't remember. Yeah. Somebody put it in he's the. He's like an ECW, the hat guy that you always call him. Chicken Hat was the, and he could be at anywhere from the, you know, the fairgrounds with TNA, WWE at the auditorium, you know, at the municipal, or he would be at the local shows. And, you know, I've got so many funny things about Chicken Hat, but one of the things I remember is you would give me the microphone and I would walk out and I said, if everybody could just shut up for a second and I can get past y'all stench, I'm going to say some things. Oh God, shut up. You know, <laughs> Chicken Hat, his voice, you know, he would dance like nobody was watching you know what i mean and you know chicken hat is a legendary fan i, I was going to ask you actually how have you heard about him how is he doing or uh the last time i've heard about him is that his, his brother's taking care of him and he lives somewhere in florida and works was working or works at a uh, margaritaville oh okay well good good I i'll hope tell you a real well. quick story with tj and chicken hat it was a uh, it was just a regular night at millersville and it's like uh, the middle of the card and uh, TJ you now he'd sit out uh, and he was still sitting at the lobby doing his envelopes and he called you know I was coming through for something TJ said come here sit down sit down he said you got time to sit down I said yeah he said watch this like uh, when the bell rung for the match to start Charles would run to the bathroom and make sure the lights out and the door shut and then run back to the seat before the match started yeah <laughs> i mean i don't know why if it was ocd or something or what but but tj said watch watch what he's doing yeah and he did that tj's like he does that for almost every match wow wow man yeah god bless chicken hat god bless tj warrior the b-man rest in peace tj we we miss you so you know I, I, we got to get you back on sometime soon i tell you as we're kind of wrapping up though i want to make sure that we get the promotion out so there is an upcoming uswo and saw uh, co-promoted show on june 16th at 8 p.m tell us a little bit about that Basically, we're going to do a, a saw show with the USWO reunion theme. Yeah. And uh, every third Friday of the month following that, we're going to be doing a USWO saw show there every month. That's awesome. At least that's, that's awesome. the plan. Yeah. yeah. As long as the people come out and support it and it's financially feasible, we yeah. will continue to do it. And where is that going to be? At the Nashville Troubadours across the street from uh, Opryland Hotel. Couldn't ask for a better location. You couldn't ask for a better venue. Yeah. Now, I saw some pictures from the uh, previous Saw show. Yeah. It was gorgeous in there, man. Looks yeah. looks amazing, you know. We had probably so, close to 400 people in there that night. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope y'all do well, you know. Carl, I, I, first of all, I can't thank you f enough. We can't thank you enough for coming on the show. You know, it's meant the, meant the world that we could make this happen. But also, I got to thank you immensely for what you not only saw in me, but also giving me the opportunity to do it. And you, you put me in a main event storyline. It was was amazing and and i i i'm i'm a, so appreciative of that and i'm appreciative of, of our kinship here and, and you coming on man I, I can't thank you enough for that no problem man. <laughs> well jared do you have any, yeah jared do you have anything else you'd like to ask i guess i'd like to ask it just a, a follow-up question the one i asked earlier like so at that point you had a favorite match now what what's your favorite match from your entire career that you've had from my entire career Damn, that is a good question. Uh, 
Oh, be honest, I don't know. Probably would be with Big John White. Just, I mean, yeah. our matches were basically about the same. I mean, we'd go in there and run our same without even really calling stuff. Yeah. So probably when I was in my early mid to twenties working Big John White. Yeah. Yeah. Where can they find you on on YouTube, brother? My YouTube channels, I've lost access to it, but I got 14 or more years of content on it uh, at uh, youtube.com uh, forward slash Krizzle, K R I Z U L L. Yeah, you might see a little or Jimmy you Street search on there. For Nashville Wrestling Network, I got two channels. Okay. Okay. Under, under that. Yeah, there's some great stuff on there. Highly recommended. Of course, we always represent our buddy Brian Turner. Is also I see some stuff on there too. Uh, he's always funny. He's always he's always like, man, some of these guys are killing me with this. You know, getting you know putting stuff on there. I know it's a fight because we have our own YouTube channel. Of course, that's GMBMPW with our own stuff. But you know, I know YouTube's a battle to get subscribers and not only to get views and stuff and the algorithm and all that stuff. But everything you do is is always something that i appreciate and support kroll so once again we we deeply thank you for coming on brother and like i said somewhere down the line we'll get you back on here and talk some more yeah, about because we need to tell the the story of how the nwa didn't want jeremiah plunkett working the new japan legend well that's a that's an episode in itself and plunkett don't even know all the ins and outs on that well, I tell you what, we'll get you back and we'll tell that. Maybe we'll bring Plunkin on with that. That's a that's sure. a good idea. I love it. Well, for the plastic chic, Jared Street, I am Jimmy Street, and for our great guest, Crawl the Death Stalker, Mr. Tim Thomason. We're give me back my pro wrestling. We'll be right back to wrap things up after these messages. This is the big picture, Michael Jablonski. Don't forget to tune in every week to Jablonski's Pissed Off on the Mike Jablonski's Pissed Off YouTube channel. The Muslim in this sport is gonna tell you all about it. He doesn't care what you think. You're gonna hear all about it. Mike Jablonski. If you're a pro wrestling fan, there's something for everyone at the Cheap Heat TV Podcast Network. From the Pro Wrestling Discussion Show, Cheap Heat TV Live, to the Interview Show, the Jackson Interaction Podcast with the king of all wrestling media, Gene Jackson, to the silliness of the Whitey Jenkins Show, and the brand new Zip, Xander's Irresistible Podcast with Charles Anders, you can check them all out and much more over at CheapHeatTVLive.com. Oh, man, what a great episode with Kroll. It, was that not awesome? Man, it's so awesome. And, you know, to hear hear from him, you know, he's been in the business forever. And to hear that, you know, maybe Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson, you know, kind of looking his way. And then kind of you see Mankind later. It's kind of an interesting story, man. It's, Very uh, interesting. Very. You know, because you look at his character and you're like, I can see, I can see that. I mean, it's like, it's kind of like a... I don't know. You, you kind of look at him and you see Van Vader, Mankind, stuff like that. I mean, not many people were wearing masks uh, back when he was. So No, not at all. And you know what? 
a lot of guys say stuff and some people may say stuff that may be like, oh, I can't, I don't even know if I can believe that. It's so hard to right. believe, but the facts are there. He was in that gimmick. I, we've got pictures. In fact, yeah. if you've seen promotional pictures, you've seen the, the gear that he wore to make him look like Krull and you know, the timing on that, you can go online and find the timing that he was actually on that show with the Yokozuna and Lex Luger that Vince and Pat were at. So the, the timing is all there. There's really, it's not hard to believe too, you know? So the, the almost the, the idea to me is I wonder why they just didn't take him, you know, but we'll, we'll never know that one. But. You'll never know the answer to that. I mean, it's all, yeah. um, you know, they, they like who they like and, yeah. um, yeah, you know, sometimes they're a great judge of talent. Sometimes they're a poor judge of talent to me. So I mean, right, right. But you know what I loved that Kroll was telling the stories, all those stories, especially the I've never heard that full story about Bill DeShields and Tony Falk, and and basically Bill yeah. DeShields strong arming Tony Falk at the Stadium Inn. And I tell you what, it, that's crazy stuff. And you know, he did give me a little line there at the end where he was like, "Hey, uh, we get, we need to tell the story about Plunky." the Kojima so what I'm thinking is coming up soon maybe we have a special you know special episode with Plunky and him on it telling that story because I tell you he's right that would you and I can just sit back and let them talk because honestly that's that show's gonna be good because it it was it was crazy and the NWA didn't I remember that time it it was a battle and they they doubled down and made it happen to where Plunky was the man for that and you know if you think a, a, a legendary man like Shatoshi Kojima coming from New Japan Japan and, and you know it's it just so cool man i don't want to ruin the story but it's so cool it's it's almost like a dark side of the ring in a sense you know so oh, yeah. we'll definitely figure that one out soon y'all we've got a long list ahead of us like i said earlier in the show but you know i think right now more than anyone who i'd like to bring to this show is the plastic chic you got anything uh, for a chic i did yeah yes i do indeed well kids Tell them what's up. I can figure. So, um, update from the Powertown end of things. Uh, they're supposed to be starting shipping any time, or you may have already received your shipping if you've ordered from them. Yeah. Um, I haven't received an email or my tracking info yet, but I've got one that says coming soon, basically, the shipping. So, sure. we'll see. Um, fingers crossed. Uh, but they also announced uh, their Powertown Remco line. From Remco. Um, yeah. That's coming out. So series one of that, uh, some pretty exciting stuff out of it. The Rock and Roll Express. Boom. And if you know, you know that we love that. Absolutely. Uh, we got to get a two. We got to get one of the two packs and you get Ricky and I get Robert, right? <laughs> that's how it's got to be, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Bobo Brazil. Very cool. I think that'll be an awesome figure. You know, like I remember the Carlos Colon and Abdullah the Butcher. Yeah. I mean, you got to have some representation from all sides there. So that'll be awesome. And then, and then I'm wondering what, exactly what this is going to look like fully, but it specifically references the Tully and Magnum TA I quit match. So yeah. I don't know if they're going to be like just a two bloody, kind of a bloody thing too, or mm. thing like I don't I don't know. Um, Maybe Amen. some replacement heads, maybe two heads maybe. or something. Nick Bockwinkle, so that's going to be a guy who actually had an original Remco. Yeah. And then he's going to have one of these as well. Yeah. 
uh, one of your favorites, Tito Santana. <laughs> <laughs> It'll probably cost three hundred dollars just That's to hold him for three hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the one, the maybe we, I don't think it's going to be underrated because it's very toyetic, so to say. The Missing Link. Yeah, dude, is that one not perfect, man? That one's I mean, like perfect. I've seen yeah. custom Hasbro's of this before, and I think you told me you'd seen a custom Remco of him before. So, y- yeah, are you a member of the Facebook group, the Remco? You I, should I am, be. Yeah, I think okay. so. Yeah. So they will. There's a guy on there. I don't know his name. I don't want to even get into that. But there's a guy on there that does really good customs. There's some other people that don't do very good customs. But this guy actually does really good work, and he actually made a missing link using Hawk's head and John Nord's body. It was pretty cool. And I mean, wow. if you think about it, he used a Nord, <laughs> which is like that's like that like stabs me in the heart that he used a Nord for it. <laughs> Maybe he just used the pieces or something maybe but. he had like yeah maybe there were some like pieces that he had. i don't know man oh. yeah yeah that's a that's a hard one to chop up, up. <laughs> yeah yeah okay but I mean, if you think about a hawk head painted yeah. up a little bit it looks perfect and anyway so let me just give my input on this now yeah th- these are some thoughts that i have one the magnum and the tully that's awesome think it's great but you know, there were two body styles back in the Remco days. Do you put the Magnum as like the classic muscular style He-Man look? And then do you put Tully as the, you know, like Freebird style kind of what Terry Gordy had? I know that was supposed to mark in them as a larger man, but almost looks more like a normal body style of somebody, say, like the Rock and Roll Express, somebody yeah. like a Tully Blanchard. But also, you know, They'll probably put him on the muscular body. My other input on that is I almost would have preferred it be Magnum and Nikita in the you know the best of seven. And honestly, I feel like Nikita is a little more what what did they call it toyetic than Tully. Yeah. You know, but again, I'm not questioning anything. You know, Nick Bockwinkle, that's a no-brainer. Bobo Brazil, no-brainer. Love that idea. Missing Link, no-brainer. Perfect, yeah. Missing my, Link, my other thing Missing about, Link is the perfect. I mean, like... Yeah, this is the... I think Missing Link might be the star of the show. It's kind of like the Brody in the <laughs> first series, you know? But let me yeah. throw in one more thing at you. The Rock and Roll Express, to put them on the He-Man-style muscular bodies almost bugs me a little. Do you think they'll have a new body style? Do you think they'll be on the muscular style or do you think they may put them on the more terry gordy abdullah the butcher body style i think i think pretty much all these people Mm -hmm. will probably be unless they do a different unless they do like an have a new body type i think they'll do all them on the muscular style so all he-man body style i think they'll all look like he-man unless they do like a different but see even tito santana's not like jack muscular sure like Right. Like, as far as Jack Muscular, you look at here, Bobo Brazil. Um, Had a good body, but never jacked. But, but, I mean, more jacked than probably most of them. I mean, sure, sure, sure. The Missing, I mean, missing- Link did have the great body. I mean, he was jacked probably, but he didn't have – but a lot of these guys are kind of just regular looking guys. I mean, Link always reminded me of like a large Terry Funk, like very similar yeah. body style, very similar kind of look, but he was just bigger than Funk, you know. Mm. But I don't know, man. I mean, I'm I'm happy about it. Also, my other and what did I text you immediately? Kind of was Is like, that's the only rock and roll we're gonna get. That's the thing. If that's the case, then keep them. <laughs> I want to see those. Uh, but see, know, I think I think. I think they'll be good sellers. So I think you'll get a, as long as Powertown does good, I think you will get another. Um, yeah. 
yeah. another thing out of them. Also, uh, what's the price point on these going to be? Yeah, no, no idea. I would say they'll be thirty bucks at yeah. least. I mean, in a two packs, probably forty at least. I don't know. Okay, and is that worth it? I mean, I know it's worth it to you, but you know, to me, I'm it saying? is. I, there's a, so many collectors out there. I can't. I mean, I can. Yeah, if, if they do right, but I mean, I think I think people will be picking and choosing. Some of these names don't knock you out if you're not a collector, I don't think. Sure, sure. I mean, again, the Tito Santana, I, I've got a little bad taste in my mouth because of him. But again, it's nothing against his career or the man no. himself. I just, yeah. you know, it's a little podcasting issue <laughs> that I've had yeah. with him. But, you know, I love the idea of the Bobo missing link, of course. Nick Bockwinkle makes total sense. All of them make great sense. I might have just with a rather had the Nikita in that lineup and also just, you know, where's hey, it? Is this, did Tully in that match, was he in blue jeans and cowboy boots and like a cutoff shirt? Or am I thinking of a different match? That he had? I th- that's the that's the bunkhouse thing. That's the bunkhouse, it? yeah. That's the bunkhouse match. Yeah. Okay. I was just wondering if they were going to have him like kind of in that gear and maybe it would look cooler in that gear than maybe, but you know, and but I'm excited thing- to have a Tully like this too, though. I mean, like just you know, if they had Jim Crockett promotions of these characters, oh. this Ribco back in the day held. How big we would have been all over. I mean, we were big all over it anyway. Dude, it would have been over with. And, you know, we even asked Steve that question. Was that ever a chance? And apparently it wasn't. But, you know, the the other thing I I really want to ask is (sighs) just seeing images of the MWF podcast figures that they've made in the Remco style. Those are, I think, a little cheaper made. And they actually look more like the bodies of the knockoff. Iron Sheik. I agree and, with you. And knock off Hulk Hogan. Snooka, Jimmy Snooka. Yes, knock off Snookas and stuff. Do they come across this way or do they even just, if they could even just get the molds of the old Remco, that would make me happy, you know? Oh, I would love that. I'm sure even, if anybody maybe have a connection to it, it would be Steve. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and when will we see these? You know, it's been nine months, right? I think you said nine months right, to the nine day. Months since, I, since I ordered mine. Yeah. Yeah. So is there, you know, that's the other thing we talked about. That's, the, you know, I understand, you understand promoting a product for people that is out of the, out of nowhere. You know, we're trying to put across a podcast here that we don't have a name. So it's you and me, and we're just doing this and trying to get as many people to listen as much as possible. But, you know, Long story short, I just, I worry that, you know, because I've heard so many people talk about how impatient they've been with the mm-hmm. the Power Town line. Well, and, just go on Facebook, on their Facebook group, and you can see how people people are commenting on every one of their posts. Like, well, it'd be nice to have my figures. Yeah, like, exactly. Well, can I cancel my figures, you know, yeah. since they haven't come? Yeah. You know? I mean, what's a normal pre-order for Mattel? What's their turnaround time on that? And I tell you, some of the... Some of the newer, like the Mattel creations, like the Hasbro style, sometimes I'll pre-order it, they'll open the pre-order, and I'll get it shipped the next week. But that's but, but that's a huge – they've already got them produced at that point, so they're they're doing – but I've seen some uh, four to six months. I mean, it's not out of the question if it's – if they're doing like a big pre-order thing on it. But that's with Mattel, and Mattel can kind of eat those if they don't, you know. Yeah ringside collect or they could put them on their site and sell them right 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 so really anticipating a pre-order with power town and must be different because you know and that's the other thing it's like they redid the series one too they redid 
because they were having issues with them like popping apart and stuff like that. So I'm at least glad that they redid them if they were having that trouble though. So. Oh, for sure. And I, you know, no question. And I think they're doing right by everybody. But, you know, anyway, I hope the best for them. Greg got on our podcast and kind of spilled a bunch of secrets and we really haven't been as much in communication with them since, but it may just We don't know be, if that's the reason or if that's just, you know. Yeah. But if there were, we're just a little podcast that really can't help them. So Right, exactly. And that's probably what it is. But, you know, maybe I'm just looking into it too much. But long story short, we definitely appreciate Steve coming on. Appreciate Greg and Magnum being on our show and giving us that opportunity. So that was awesome. But I hope big things for them. I really do. I do, too. I, do too. I mean, yeah, I, I want I want them to do great because I want more to collect so <laughs> yeah absolutely well Sheik, do you have anything more about this new power town announcement that's it right now man that's it right all now. right Pick your shoulders separately all right well thank y'all again for sticking around with us once again we're on facebook twitter instagram and youtube at gmbmpw make sure you like subscribe follow us so you can see all the new announcements we've got for upcoming episodes and also links to the shows that we already have definitely want to thank y'all thank you chic for doing this with me this is a great fun interview we had with Kroll today man Kroll would have been a great action figure right come on oh absolutely Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe the, get him uh, get him up with insane Shane. Yeah. Or maybe give me back my pro wrestling. We'll get big enough that I, we have I our own so, man. plastic chic figure line. <laughs> That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. All right. Well, we thank y'all one more time for listening to Crawl. Next episode, we're going to have Quentin Charisma, old QQ as they call him. One of those guys, like I said, that knows everybody and has done everything. And we, again, just appreciate y'all so much and for the all the great you know responses we've received you know people text me saying hey man i just listened to hot rod now i'm listening to the whole series you know i'm listening to the whole run and so y'all that just means so much to us so thank you again for listening to just this episode but if you listen go check out the others i think you'll find something you like in all of them so we thank y'all and catch us next time on give me back my pro wrestling don't forget I don't want to fight crawl. <laughs> Maybe with a tear in my eye. This is the greatest moment in my life. This has been a James Rock Street production.